0: Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. We are joined by our good buddy Benji Ritholtz today. We're going to be talking all kinds of stuff from the first four games of Knicks Cavs and things that they can look to do in game five tonight. In this first of a two-part episode today, you'll get both parts today. Uh, We're going to be talking about Tom Thibodeau and his adjustments. We're going to talk about Jalen Brunson and how he's been able to find his spots. And we're going to be talking about R.J. Barrett and his renaissance during this series. Right now on Locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes
1: right now. Sparks without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. Three, three, four, And He's good. He and he's foul. Anthony for three.
2: Bang, bang, the the Becomes
0: infectious. All right, welcome in to Locked On Mix, And I want to remind you guys today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code MBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And I want to thank you guys for making On on your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us part of your daily routine, especially if you're an everydayer and you've got that notification bell on and you've got that auto download function cranking and you're checking out every single episode. We are here for you guys, at, especially right now, at least five days a week. So we're here quite a bit giving you guys Nick's coverage. So definitely make sure to never miss an episode if you enjoy it. I'm Alex Wolf, I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, the Strickland, which you can find strict.land Strick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And like we said, we're joined by Benji Ritholtz, one of our good buddies. He's such a a great basketball mind. You might know him on Twitter, uh, at BenRitholtzMBA. He breaks down all kinds of Knicks stuff, you know, as it relates to film. He also famously gives out grades after every single game. Uh, which you can always look forward to in tweet form. And We've got a lot to talk about today, so I'm not going to hold us up any further. Let's get right into it with Benji. All right, as promised, we are joined by our good buddy, Benji Ritholtz of Knicks Film School. You might know him from his Twitter handle, which is fantastic if you want to learn some stuff about basketball, at Ben Ritholtz, NBA. Uh, Benji, how you doing, man? How you enjoying this Knicks playoff run? It's been a minute since we caught up on LOK here and uh i think it's safe to say we got quite a bit to talk about
1: (laughs) yeah no it's uh, it's great to see both of you it's been it has been too long um it has been very fun i i'm having a great time i think it's like the type of not just because the knicks are winning because it's just an interesting series with like adjustments both ways and uh by game two already we had a lineup change it's like been the kind of thing that i love to analyze the back and forth the coaching moves um and look, the games have been, although kind of ugly, they've been fun to watch for the most part. So yeah, having a blast. Playoff basketball is here. What could be we bet?
0: Well, as it turns out, you know, obviously uh, you bring up coaching, and as one of our one of our most X's and O's savvy buddies, you know, we want to ask you like all kinds of stuff about what you've been seeing on the court as far as what the Knicks are employing. Um, we'll keep it broad at first, though. Like, what do you think about the job Tibbs has done so far in the series? Has it changed your opinion on him uh, to any degree? Uh, Or do you think that this is just sort of a culmination of what has been sort of a renaissance season for him? Like as great as the season was two years ago, that was pretty much just Tibbs being like, I am Tom Thibodeau and I'm going to come in here and put in my system and my defense and this team is going to play like a Tibbs team. And that's that, you know, And, and of course it went very well two years ago, but then we saw it kind of fall apart in the playoffs due to some of the the problems that we've seen from Tibbs in the past at other stops where adjustments, you know, are not always his strong suit. Like, consistency is usually his strong suit, more so than than adjusting game-to-game or especially minute-to-minute. Uh, but in this series, I think he's – I commented on this on our post-game pod after game four. Like, big ups to him. Like, the Knicks have not just been adjusting great game-to-game, but his minute-to-minute and in-game adjustments have actually been – very substantial like from from ways that they're playing guys on defense to the way that they're playing on offense to uh the decision to sit Randall down the stretch which would seem like sacrilege before that like there's been a lot going on so h- how is this playoff series thus far obviously still very young in the playoffs hopefully f- uh, for the next here but how has this sort of affected your perception of Tibbs as a coach
1: Yeah I think it's improved my perception of him as a coach I I I thought game three was a very important game. I said it, uh, I think I tweeted it. I said it somewhere, but I thought J.B. Bickerstaff making a pretty substantial and dramatic game Two move lineup wise, pretty rare to see it already in a game two like that. It was a pretty big move. And I thought it actually boded well for the Knicks in the sense that like the Cavs recognized very quickly that there's something stylistically problematic here that we have to fix. So for me, it was like, oh, that's a pretty dramatic move game or er- this early in a series. They don't really know what they are yet in term and who they're going to play. And so I thought that was overall good, but th- the change certainly worked and they got kind of walked over in game two. And I thought, all right, well, now they've made their pretty substantial pivot what does Tibbs do to answer back or is it just like do everything better which is generally his mantra but in the playoffs it's not good enough especially if you're not the most talented team in the world Um, and the Knicks are talented but it's going to require some adjustments and some smart coaching in order to prevail in this series and certainly going forward so I thought his game three adjustments were very good I thought he coached a very good game in both game three and game four Um, sometimes still a little bit late to make certain moves that I wish he would have made. Um, And I guess, unsurprisingly, the game plan going in, I thought was excellent. And I think, you know, that's something you do expect from Tibbs. The question kind of more is, how does he pivot? Does he pivot? Um, And I think we've seen, in ways that I'm sure we'll talk about, I think we've seen some of those pivots that were needed that have solidified their position in the series. So yeah, overall, I I definitely improved and, and kind of gained confidence I've, I've gained confidence in Tibbs' ability to kind of coach with the best in the league at this level. Well, let me, let me give you a runway to do just that, Benji. What, what do you feel are the most
2: essential adjustments the Knicks have made the last two games that have propelled them on both ends of the floor?
1: Yeah, offensively, it's interesting – Going in, I think it was pretty obvious that they were going to have to rely heavily on guard-to-guard screens and wing-to-guard screens because that's the weakness of the Cavs' defense. And they're not going to—they don't want to switch Brunson, and they don't want to switch Garland. Sorry, they don't want to switch Garland or Mitchell onto Brunson. And so, right there, that's your advantage creation because they're going to send two to the ball. They're going to try to recover. Like you don't have to do all that much to get someone moving downhill, whether it's Brunson attacking that situation or finding the slipper or the roller or whatever it might be. For whatever reason, in game two, they really went away from that. Uh, and they started screening heavily with Mitch and Hartenstein, which frankly didn't make sense um, and and played right into the Cavs hands. And I think it was a large reason why that game went so poorly. So game three and game four kind of getting back to the what the game plan, I think, was in game one, which was let's let's use that to our advantage. Let's let's try to get Garland and Mitchell into the actions and find our slips and. And and work from there. So on the offensive side of the ball, that's been to me the biggest adjustment. And I think it's manifested in a lot of different ways. I think the offensive rebounding also, which has, I think, been the most important part of the series, frankly. I think that is a chain reaction from that initial blitz style that the Cavs are employing, that all their guys are so high up the floor. Mitchell Robinson at the dunker spot, not setting a screen, by the way, right? He's in the dunker spot can just back his way into offensive rebounds and use his strength against guys like Allen and Mobley. So it's all kind of work just from that initial move of bringing whether it's Hart or Grimes or IQ or RJ, as we saw late in the game, um, in game four. I think that's worked to the Knicks' advantage on the offensive end. On the defensive end, he switched Brunson onto Garland which I don't know if that's the move going forward, but it certainly threw a bit of a wrench into what the Cavs wanted to do and did so well in Game Two, which was bring Lavert up and try to get Brunson, to, Brunson similarly trying to struggle in that hedge and recover, um, because he's not going to switch onto Mitchell, so or Garland. But they just said, you know what? We'll pre-switch it. We'll put you on Garland, so that now at least you're not going to be able to run that precise action and challenge Brunson a little bit, just be a little better defensively, which I thought was probably healthy. Um, So that was a good adjustment. And I think the other thing on the defensive end is how they are playing the Mitchell and Garland screens. I thought the third quarter kind of slipped a lot, which is why Garland got off yeah. to, a, to a large extent. But overall, I think they've really been smart in mixing up their coverages from their five men. how high up on the floor are they getting? Some, they're rarely blitzing. They're dropping pretty heavily sometimes, but they're at the level at other times. I think that's all part of the game plan depending on where everybody is on the floor, how how aggressive you help. But I think the Knicks have executed that game plan really well. I think they are. Mitchell, I think they're just throwing a lot of looks at him. I think he's a little confused. Explains the turnovers that he's had, which are kind of uncharacteristic. Um, so I, I just think they're keeping Cleveland guessing, which I think is good, and they should continue to do it. Like I don't know if you start Brunson on Garland next game. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't. You know, maybe throw another wrench in. But I, I just think he's been on top of it on the defensive side of the ball. I, you can't argue the Cavs just haven't scored in the series at all, right? So, right?
0: All right, we'll be right back in with Benji. We're going to talk more about uh Jalen Brunson and uh, Darius Garland and how the Knicks have played him. We'll talk about R.J. Barrett later in the show, so lots more to get into. But I do have to remind you all, today's show is brought to you by Ultimate Pro Basketball GM and It's honestly one of the coolest games I've played in a while. I've always thought I could be a great NBA GM. And as it turns out, it's not all that easy until you get really good at it. And then you really kick butt like I did. I won a lot of championships. Uh, So the game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through seasons and leading your franchise and fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you're responsible for dealing with challenging personalities, hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players and making draft picks and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of multiple seasons, all this in a challenging and realistic game world ultimate pro basketball GM is completely free and playable offline. So you can play on the go as you want and when you want to. And I start off in this game and I mention this every time I do this ad read, but the, the most uh, compelling part of it to me at first was that you're greeted by, the owner of the team that you're taking over and they say, we've been a disgrace for forever and we need you to pull us out of the doldrums and help us make money and help us return to glory. But we've been so bad for like over 10 years and and the league has been keeping us down and this, that, the other thing. I'm like, man, this sounds really familiar. And Then I went ahead and did what Leon Rose has done built a built a really solid foundation then eventually a championship team. So, you know, if you want to feel like Leon Rose get this game. Locked on Knicks listeners get 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. So, make sure to check it out to download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com and scan the code or look it up on your favorite app store. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty
2: today. And we also got to tell you about I bought a Groceries, school shopping, and getting a little something for yourself. You know you're already doing it, so why not get get cash back with it, with Ibotta. You can earn cash back on every shopping trip. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average I bought a user earns $1,200 a year in real cash back. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, or you can use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you're dying to, you're dying to go to. Uh, Nick's uh, round two, game one, anyone? Or the fancy dinner that you've been craving. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED.
0: Yeah, I think I noticed too, you know, if we we want to talk about Garland more, I, I think obviously he was almost the the guy that sparked a comeback for the cat. I mean, he did uh, technically speaking, he did spark a comeback. It was just a failed comeback, but right. you know, he sparked one in the, in the most recent game by essentially targeting Brunson. And, you know, for as amazing as Brunson was in that game, you know, nobody's above reproach, you know, like he he did not have a great defensive sequence, I think against Garland there um, that particular time where I felt like, and they you know that this on the broadcast, it was kind of like, he was, he was trying to shut off his dominant hand, but he was selling out so hard doing that that he was like, oh, this all-NBA player, or not all-NBA, but all-star level player, must not have a left, obviously. I'll just let him go left all the time. And then he would blitz by you know, Brunson, get into the lane, make something happen, or kick it out to someone else. And you know that, that kind of turned into a bit of a mess for the Knicks at the start of that third quarter. That said, I think, I think they did a pretty good job solving that down the stretch obviously because they they managed to neutralize garland and i think a lot of it just kind of had to do with saying okay we'll just throw Manuel quickly on him and uh, you know or any other defender really like other than other than brunson at this particular moment and let brunson keep just doing what he's doing on the offensive end and kind of hide him on other guys on defense to allow him to kind of conserve his efforts for that um, yeah is it really that simple? Was it really just like let's just throw Emmanuel quickly on there? Was that sort of where you feel the loss of like Quentin Grimes, where it's like, okay, Grimes wasn't in this game, and that sort of makes a bit of a difference, or or was there something a little more to that? And like, do you think there's a chance yeah. that maybe Brunson gets exploited a little more?
1: Yeah, no, I think you know, I think the Cavs decided smartly. It was like we're doing all this fancy stuff with Brunson or screening guard to guard. It's like if Brunson's guarding Garland, let's just go to our bread and butter one five screen and roll and let. And Brunson's just not good at the point of attack. So he's he's, ran, like he, he's rammed into a couple screens, didn't get through, and like that just leaves Mitch in a really tough spot where he can't really play too because he's by himself, right? The whole goal is to get over those screens, be a bit of a rear contester so Mitch can kind of hang back and play, play the lane and deny the lob at the same time, contest the floater. But if you crash into that screen the way Brunson was and there's zero, zero backside pressure, it's just really impossible for for Mitch. So you saw Mitch get exposed, but I thought it was largely because Brunson was just ineffective there. And like you said a couple times, just straight blow-bys where he's shading way too far left with zero resistance. Um, I thought that was a smart move by the Cavs. What happened was, like late at the same time that Quickly's entering that game, right? the Cavs are going to their bench. And that's just been – that's just been <laughs> – the big problem for the Cavs, you look at the numbers, like the core four together are winning the series. Like those guys, like we've been critical of Mobley. I think rightfully so at times the spacing doesn't look great, but like ultimately when those four guys are on the floor, they're beating the Knicks. It's when they try to go to anybody else and like their bench has been a disaster. They can't find the guys they want to play. And when they bring in Osman and when they bring in green and when they bring in, um, a So now Brunson can hide on those guys. The reason they moved them off of is because they killed them in game two. Once Levert goes out of the game or one of Mitchell or Garland go out of the game, now I can hide Brunson on a Coro or Osman. And now I can bring in quickly and throw him on Garland. And I have hard on Mitchell anyway, right? So it's like, it's it's a matter of, I I thought it was both ways. I thought it was really, it's obviously smart to move quickly onto Garland, but also it's just a matter of who the Cavs have on the floor. And that's the predicament they're in is because Coro is clearly the best option on Brunson. But Levert, Levert, those those four with Levert are just the only guys that seem to be able to score consistently because the Knicks are so smart about helping off of the bad shooters on Cleveland. Um, so it was it was as simple as kind of shutting off the faucet, getting getting quickly onto Garland. Um, and then down the stretch, they even when Levert came back in, they had Brunson on Levert for most of it. So I think that was maybe maybe what we'll see to start Game Five as well is is switching up that matchup. But if not, I, I just think it's. Um, it's definitely something that they're going to have to address though. That one five screen and roll Garland to, to Allen and how to do a better job of, of shutting that down because I think the Cleveland will go to it early and often.
0: All right. We'll be right back in with Benji to finish talking about this first part of this episode where we're going to finish up by talking about RJ Barrett and uh, his success and, and what has led to that in this series so far. But first I got to tell you guys about the game time app and i tell you what, like buying tickets to a sports game can be kind of stressful sometimes. You know, I know it's like it's such a luxury, obviously. So like not to not to, you know, turn it into too much of a first world problem. But sometimes you're like, man, I really want to go to this game. But like, oh, I didn't buy tickets weeks ago. They're going to be so expensive. And how am I ever going to find a good deal? But that's where. That's where uh, Game Time comes in because buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. And Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And I, I've used the Game Time app before, and honestly, they have a great low price guarantee. They're designed for last minute buyers, and I'm not a big planner. I'm more of like a I wake up in the mood to go to a game, and I decide, you know what, let's buy tickets today and go ahead and do it. And game time has really saved my butt a bunch of times. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football and basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the Difference. And it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds with two taps. You're all set. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked on NBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed.
2: And it's that time once again. Locked on Knicks listeners, your Nissan's most electric player of the week. And it's brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Arias. So I got to go with a guy that I'm pretty sure we've never honored with this award. And that is Mitchell Robinson, who is playing some of the best basketball of his life against the cleveland cavaliers absolutely dominant around the rim I, i've referenced it a lot on this podcast but the way he protects the basket is not only electric but i would go so far as to say brilliantly fierce um and an offense man some of the the, the he had where darius garland punched him there was it, it was like mitchell mitchell usually described as having stunning power i would say this was elegantly powerful The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pinned to your seat power, just like Mitch, but also premium intelligence, just like Mitch, all-in-one EV or all-in-one NBA center. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. Yeah, I, I I think it's a great point, and, and obviously when Karis is in there, there's so much more stress because with with the Coro, like the solution is pretty simple, right? You just you just help from the strong side, and like uh, we got Obi doing um what what is it called that Cornette does like the Eclipse contest, like one time on a Coro that was that was a joy. Um, but you can you can do that with him, and you can't totally do that with Caris. Um, but I guess what I kind of liked about putting Brunson on Garland is like you you sort of like. Not not completely because sometimes the Knicks would like overhelp, but like you kind of took like Harris out of the game as like a creator because like Garland's just gonna go at that matchup over and over again. And like we've seen Mitch at times in this series just I mean, to your point, like like even when he's been put on that island, like where, where it really is two on one, like there have been times where he just played it so perfectly Yeah, and he's just kind of baited Garland and he's like it's like kind of like little red riding hood. It's like, all right, come in, come in, go to the rim, last second, like comes flying over. And like Mitch is like there was one play in the first quarter where um, I can't remember. It was like a slip to Jared Allen, but like, it's, it's funny because on offense, like sometimes he looks like he has like lead feet. And then on defense, like, it's like he teleports sometimes, <laughs> like, like the way he just covers ground um, rapidly is, is, is incredible. But um, uh, we, we we can talk about Mitch more if you want Benji, but I also, I wanted to flip to the other side of the ball a little bit and just, the, I'm, I'm not sure if like, this is a coaching thing or, or maybe it's only a coaching thing in that, like he's convinced Jalen Brunson, to make better decisions but we've seen the knicks like whether it was against the raptors or the heat um like struggle at points with traps this year and like at times like brunson's made really poor decisions in those situations like to me it just it feels like he's been more willing to just make a pass early and as like alex highlighted when we did our game recap like like that one where josh cut like the wide open dunk at the end like sometimes was was really patient but but the point was like like made like just just strong decisions in those situations over and over again and then we've seen the way the Knicks have played out of that, whether it's like Hart or RJ as a short roller, like they've just been really willing passers and like smart, decisive passers. Like, is that is that a Tibbs thing? Or is that just guys being like, I, I don't know, like a little bit smarter with the basketball and stronger with the basketball?
1: I think both. I, you know, if you listen to tips throughout the season, it's like, it's one of his, it's one of his mantras is like, don't fight the pressure. Right. So, so you get two to the ball, just get rid of it and let the next guy make the play. I think that's absolutely an emphasis of his. Brunson at times is guilty of fighting the pressure with ball handling instead of just like letting it, giving it up. Um, but that's the gambit, right? Is like, can we, can you, once you create that advantage, you get two to the ball. Can you beat the Cavs four on three by moving the ball quickly enough to, to get a good shot? And I think the Knicks more often than not in the last two games have certainly done that. Um, but, and it, it's also up to Brunson to just kind of make the pass. Um, they were, they were, you know, down the stretch of that game where he's finding RJ on that, they're doing that side pick and roll RJ slip into the corner Early game one, game two, Brunson did not hit that pass every time. They've run that play 30, 40 times in this series. Like it's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a pet set for them, but Brunson often handles instead of just throwing that outlet to RJ. Now RJ can't make a shot. So I kind of understand the hesitation, but you see what happens when you can get RJ downhill and the, and the effects of that. So it's, it's just using Brunson, using his gravity. Like he's has a lot of gravity. Like the Cavs are trapping him high up the floor with guards and with bigs. Um, and the, and I get why they're doing it because Brunson is short and he can't beat you generally with one pass. That pass to Josh Hart, where he split the trap, being an exception to the rule because he just because yeah. he split. But generally, he's not going to be able to make that one, you know, that quick pass to the weak side that breaks the whole thing, right? Like a Luka yeah. can or a LeBron can. And the Knicks have to do it with a little bit more movement with two or three passes. But I think that more often than not, in in certainly in the last game, they did they they did it successfully. Um, you know, it's funny on the Mitch point that you said earlier. The one thing that I kind of was surprised about Tibb's game plan going in was the fact that he was almost in drop with Mitch, on Mitchell and Garland's screen and rolls. I thought he'd be as aggressive as he is with his fours in terms of like really blitzing, getting the ball out of their hands. But now, like watching the series, I I get it because by not blitzing with Mitch, you're basically always allowing Mitch to be on the back line, like and the value of that of keeping Mitch down below the foul line more often than not, even if you're going to concede a few pull up threes here and there. And that I think Mitchell will make man, like I'm expecting a big Mitchell game next game because I, you know, he did miss some good looks. The pull up three is there. They scream with their fives. You saw Garland get a couple in the third quarter. Cause they're not blitzing with their fives. Certainly not with Mitch, but I think the, the gamble or the gambit is correct in that. Like if we leave Mitch where he's supposed to be down there, like the Cavs are just going to struggle to score. And he's been phenomenal in the series, just deterring, and contesting everything at the rim it's been maybe the primary reason they're winning the series right now
0: yeah how do you uh while we're on the topic of Mitch you know and the fact that he's uh, deterring everything I think that I think I saw a stat that uh the Cavs are shooting something like 22 percent worse than yeah expected at the rim right now that's crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when Mitch is contesting which is just absolutely insane I mean what do you make of the the fantastic job he's doing holding both Mobley and Allen in check simultaneously in this series which has just been mind boggling to watch like I think you might have had some clips on this I've, I've seen so many clips of it now floating around Twitter like of just how well he's he's just shading and and you know like like putting an arm out towards Mobley, you know, ensuring that he knows like, I'm here, buddy, don't forget. But then also being fully prepared to prevent a lob to Jared Allen and like just blow up so many actions that they can run with those two guys, which like that's their, that's uh, Jared Allen was an all-star, you know, like last year. And, uh, and, you know, you could argue whether he's like your traditional version of an all-star, but still extremely talented player. And Evan Mobley it was a Defensive Player of the Year candidate this year, and looks to be on a star trajectory himself. I mean, these are two. You mentioned they have four guys that really can hurt you, and Mitch on so many plays is taking both of them out all at once. I mean, what have you made of his ability to to control both bigs on the opposing team like that so effectively?
1: Yeah, I you know, they've been blitzing, although, God, Randall's gotten really lazy with them since game one, but in game one, he was executing the blitz well, just forcing that pass to Mobley on the roll anytime Mobley screens, and the Knicks are just like, go for it, Evan. Like, we got Mitch back there, you gotta either make a pass to a bad shooter in the corner if it's Coro or Osman, or you're gonna have to try to make a floater over Mitch um cuz we're going to crash down with our guards to Allen to cover the lob and we're just going to let Mitch contain Mobley and Mobley just hasn't made enough shots in that scenario like Mitch has just swallowed him up there's obviously a huge strength advantage there that Mitch has imposed and Garland, you know the, he, Mobley can't move him and usually Mobley can shoot over dudes but not Mitch right like <laughs> Mitch has the size and the strength combination to to contest everything really well i will say um it's a really good matchup for Mitch when you have two bigs in there at all times and neither of them can shoot like where Mitch struggles sometimes is trying to navigate shooting where the, the, the more you spread Mitch out and make him think about covering the perimeter, the more difficult it is for him. Right? So I think again, go to the strategy I pointed out earlier in terms of keeping him in drop, keeping him down there and not having to worry about, uh, Kevin Love, who, you know, they could have just had in this series. And it's kind of wild that they don't, because they bought him out for some right, reason. And and worth noting,
2: the guy who beat the Knicks in the lone regular season game by dropping uh, yeah. thirty-four points and like eight threes. On like
1: them. new, like newsflash, like like Knicks struggle with stretch bigs. Like hello, like this is like the known thing. And like we kind of thought this series was coming for months. It's not like the Cavs Knicks series being a thing was like such a shocker. Like yeah, it, it was it was in the cards. So like I, it was a very strange move. I'm happy he's not in the series. Obviously, he provides another w- a person to attack on defense. So th- there's a balance there. But like yeah. Mitch not having to think about any- anyone like that on the floor I think has been really fortunate for the Knicks. Um, so it's both. I mean, he's been great. He's been uh, utilizing all of his strengths. He's been disciplined, which is always kind of the question, but he has been. He's just been disciplined. He's been smart about where he's helping and how he's helping. And I think it's a very favorable matchup for him, and he's just been a beast. He's just been a beast
2: yeah yeah he's he's been incredible um i got i got some uh good good news or, or maybe bad news for you benji um the Heat just went up 3-1 on the Bucks, so maybe, maybe no not way yet um also we are we are posting this episode on wednesday so it'll be old news at that point but i just, I just wanted to wanted to let you know a lot um i want to ask you about rj barrett um we, we've yes. seen him make uh jumps before in his game right and that have a uh, proven um in some form or fashion unsustainable and I, I don't like to say that because like they're like he's he's made real progress this year as as a finisher um for sure um and, and occasionally in other areas but it's in fits and spurts and it's not always linear and, and sometimes a lot of times there's regression there much to the chagrin of myself i'm sure to you to alex to everyone listening but um to me this feels real in that it's not like a streak of hot shooting like it's just his ability to process and read the floor and like we had um, Howard Beck on, uh, what what'll what'll be yesterday now uh, when people listen to this? And I was kind of talking to him about Ooh,
1: a little flex. It was like yeah How's yeah, a little, little, you
2: gotta 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 do the name drop if you can. <laughs> um, and the point was um, like this should be the environment where RJ, like a guy who's like borderline pathologically confident, is maybe at his most unhinged and is just saying, all right, look, Donovan Mitchell. Time to lace them up, two superstars. We're going toe to toe. Let's do it, right? <laughs> because that's like that's what makes RJ great and that's what makes RJ like tough to watch sometimes. Is that like he like I think he really believes that. He believes like those are the two stars of the series um and instead of doing that like he has been at least like maybe game two was was not great by any means but for the other three games like i thought the decision making has been great in game three the shooting came along for the ride in game four the finishing came along for the ride Um, but even even in terms of the finishing like i don't look at that as like oh wow like he's really improved his layup package like it was more so like streamlining his game and saying like what am i good at like getting downhill, draw, drawing two guys, that means there's a pass open, or getting downhill and and just going in a straight line and finishing through someone and, and beating the Cavs' bigs that are already really stretched out to the rim. But uh, what, what, what have you seen from RJ? Like, how has Tibbs helped with this? And, and maybe most importantly, like, is this what we can come to expect? Maybe not forever, maybe not every single game, but for the most part going forward in terms of his ability to pass the basketball in particular.
1: Yeah, it's... Um... It's always been, you know, it's like I sometimes debate in my head whether it's really a skill to be able to get into the paint. I think the answer is yes. And I think the question with RJ, therefore, has always been like, what do you do when you get there? (laughs) Um, Because you are there a lot. God, you drive, you're able to get into the paint. And with RJ, it it just too often results in flailing layups, um, bad turnaround numbers um and sometimes just like missed passes when they're available so to see him kind of put that together in a series like this is i'm blown away by like i'm blown away by the, these two performances that he's had um in game three and four uh, i didn't see them coming um it's just been awesome to watch that development happen at the most important time um maybe it's because of how good the rim protection is that he kind of knows that he has to be smarter about it the one thing i'll say from the coaching perspective is it's been a less of like pistol pick and rolls where you see him kind of back up and take like 10 seconds off the clock and then eventually like wind his way into the lane and often end up in a tough lefty layup. it's been more they're running a nice little set. They've run it the first play of the game in two straight, where they're just like a little pitch handoff from Brunson Tim getting downhill directly to his left, right away, straight line, quick. Everything from that game four was just quick. Like it was just with pace. It wasn't, not to say that he was rushed because there were some nice hesitations, there, but like everything was like, I get the ball, I make my decision, and I go. And a lot of that also is a credit to Brunson, who again is attracting the two to the ball, and they're able to kick to RJ, and it's like he's attacking a defense that's now scrambling yeah, back. Someone's
2: facing him in those situations, right? Like, yeah, he gets he gets a head start, which, like,
1: he's, he's always been great with. Exactly. And and some of the finishes were, I mean, you know, like the one where he went under Allen on inside hand layup on the right side. Like, I love when he goes right. I think when he goes right, he's better because I think mm-hmm. he's he just tries to force it back to his left, and he so often he has too much faith in that left hand and, like, that scoop layup shot that isn't as good as he thinks it is. Like, the less of those that you see, like, the better he is. Right? And I just haven't seen a ton of like those left hand flails where he's like just like throwing it up in the air and hoping for the best. He's done a couple of them where he's gone like through Garland. He went through Lavert transition. Obviously, made a really couple of really nice moves to finish. But like a little bit more variety in his finishes, going right when they're when he's given his right, um, quicker downhill moves. I think has been really to his benefit. But like man, credit to him and the passing has been refreshing. It's just been great to see him doesn't always, it's not always flash. It's really never flashy with him in terms of passing. It's like, okay, I got my two feet in the paint. Mobley always is inclined to help. Well, Julius Randle's on top of the key wide open, so I'm just going to stop and pass him the ball. It's like a simple concept, but it's just not always one that he executes. So to see all that uh, has been, it's been awesome. Just blown away by the performances. It's been really cool.
0: Yeah, and RJ sort of proving too that he Can make a huge impact even when that three-point shot isn't falling which we saw (laughs) which we saw some games towards the end of the regular season like i know like we had talked about a couple games uh after he got back from like his little sickness at the end of the season he wasn't shooting the ball well but we were like wow everything got way better though other than that like if the three start falling this is like superstar production like even just as it is right now this is like good You know, like this is if you could just get inside and finish through contact and use that strength, then you're you're in good shape, you know, like on offense, because he's using that to your point, he's utilizing what he creates. Like, I'm of the belief that getting inside is a skill, but doing something with it is the bigger skill. Like a lot of guys can get inside a lot of a lot of guys are just pure athleticism and could barely even dribble the ball and yet can still get a good first step on someone and get into the paint but then can't do anything with it because they don't have touch or they don't have passing ability or they don't have both. And (laughs) they're just a a leaper that tries to dunk on people or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, some guys don't put that together and that's like the ultimate puzzle piece. All right, that's it for this first part of our episode with Benji. We'll be back a little later today. So keep an eye on your feed. We're going to publish early afternoon uh, with the second part of this talk with Benji talking about Julius Randle and Emmanuel Quickly Struggles, how concerned we should be and how they can fix their issues so far in this series as well as talking about adjustments that are still left for the Knicks to make and that are still left for the Cavs to make in this series and Benji has some great ideas Uh, so that's all coming up a little later today on Locked on Knicks but until then thanks for listening see you guys soon peace out